You're listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Lubbock, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered, missional family of disciples making disciples and churches planting churches. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit RedeemerLubbock.org. Well, good to see everybody. My name is Dusty. I'm one of the pastors and excited to talk about John 15 today. In fact, uh, the next two weeks, this week and then what we're going to do next week in John 17, are I think some of the best passages I can imagine around the series that's called being a healthy and active disciple, what it means to follow Jesus and what it means to be healthy. That Jesus' words is a reason why that, uh, that his words are still being talked about 2,000 years after the fact. And these are, are incredibly profound. So um, where I want to kind of anchor some of what we're going to talk about today is around this idea here. And that's that uh, the, around joy. And this passage is going to conclude with there. So I'm going to, it'll take a while to kind of work back to it. But um, joy, is, I need to define it and also need to give a qualifier. So let me, let me do those two things. So joy, first of all, the way I'm going to define it is going to be, um, it's like a contentedness uh, that isn't based on circumstance, that it isn't going up and down. That's usually how we tend to define it is, uh, hey, I'm really like joyful. In other words, like happy, like when, uh, you know, I'm at Six Flags or when my kids are all stars and when, you know, whatever, like all those kind of high points. I feel good when things are going well. And um, then uh, I don't feel as joyful and happy when things aren't. And that's how we tend to define it. But I think the way the Bible would define joy, it's, uh, it's, it's not based on circumstance. It's something that endures it. In fact, you could look at the Apostle Paul, and he talked a ton, first of all, about Jesus' ministry and implications of his teachings and his life and death and resurrection. Uh, but he also talked about joy a lot. And you'd see in Paul that, um, you know, he thinks could be, you know, churches are being planted, his disciples are flourishing, and he would talk about his joy in that. And then other places, he's like in jail, taking beatings for Jesus, and he, he's like singing songs. And you're like, how in the world can this happen? How can, how can someone be joyful when they're under arrest or when they, or whatever the case would be, and they're taking a beating? And the answer is, is that Jesus had been that beautiful and valuable. There's a joy there that went beyond circumstances. So there's your definition that is a little different than I think how most of us would tend to. Um, the second part is just a quick qualifier, is that I think sometimes on the conversation about Christian joy and what that means, that it could get a little bit confusing because um, some of us here that really struggle with depression, anxiety, that you can almost misunderstand all of what Jesus is saying here, saying that if only you believed more deeply and purely, that you wouldn't feel so lousy all the time and you wouldn't feel anxious and you wouldn't feel depressed. And, and I, I think that that would be the wrong way to misunderstand. I do think you need to believe in Jesus in the way that he's going to point you to today. Uh, but I also think that you should go see a doctor and I think you should talk to a counselor. And I think you're going to want to do those things together that if you struggle with like clinical grade um, situations here and yes, believe it and get some help alongside of it. So um, here's the, the thing about uh, where we're at societally right now in relation to joy. Uh, that, again, that goes beyond circumstances, that um, I could make a case that young people right now are more stressed and in just a constant evaluation of, you know, things that aren't really all that different than other people of different ages and of different generations, but um, just a constant comparison game. And that used to be only in person where you go, wait, you know, how's my body uh, stack up with theirs? How, how are my grades stacking up with theirs? And how's my future and my professional success and its prospects and my money and my family? Like, how are those stacking up? Uh, but now, you know, you could do something like this uh, where all the time you're like, oh, wait, they're all getting together. Um, you know, you got your snap map and even some of your 
immediately judging this person, going, oh, that's all the friends you got? I don't even know who this is. So, uh, but really, you're looking around going, man, they're all hanging out. They're all, that, why didn't I get that invite? And then plus, you see their feed of whatever your favorite social media is, and you're looking at them, and you're like, oh, man, they're, they are all having an amazing time. My life is not so amazing, and theirs is incredible all of the time. And so, uh, you know, you've got a lot of really down young people that are constantly feeling like everybody else is having the time of their life, they're all getting together, but me, I'm alone again. And now, some of you are not feeling this because when you get old like me, uh, like the, you're not afraid of everybody getting together on a Friday night. In fact, sometimes the worst thing that can happen is have a commitment on Friday night. So that might not be it, but I still think that the comparison game is still as alive and well as any other time in your life. But um, even this, this is interesting. I've seen some studies on this and the, the ages are real similar like in Europe versus here in America. But in America, the, the lowest point for an American person in terms of like a bunch of different metrics on how happy you are and things like that uh, is 47.2, 47.2. And so for me, the positive thing is I'm like on the upswing, you know what I mean? Like it's, all, it's only happier from here. Uh, and, and I think there's probably a lot of reasons for that is that uh, I think some of the reason is you get to mid age and you look around and one of the biggest questions you're asking is, is this all there is? is it the, oh, so this is it, so this is my family and this is me. This is my career. I thought for sure I was going to be president or an astronaut or still quarterback in the NFL or who knows what, you know, and those things haven't played out. And oh, oh, okay, here, here's what it is. And, and, and plus so much of your life, you know, career and at home is for other people and things like that is you could see why that joy is just in short supply regardless if you're 21 or 51 or 71, or anywhere in between, that, um, that you, we, we are in this spot right here. And so here's what Jesus is going to do, is he's going to point us to a joy uh, that's going to come from a surprising source, and it's going to take all the way to the end of the passage to get there. Uh, but let's just work through it, because these are some of Jesus's most profound words, anchored deeply in God's nature, that I think will really um, encourage you. So let's pick up, we're going to read a verse or two at a time, and just quickly work through this passage together. All right, verse 1. Jesus will set kind of the metaphor, the analogy right here. And he says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. So he tells us right there, kind of sets up the analogy. He's the vine. So think uh, a vineyard. Uh, those of you that aren't from around here, uh, you may not know, but this is actually, West Texas actually is really good grape country. And a lot of things are grown out here, but uh, one of those are grapes. Now, I'm not saying it's going to make you forget about France or something like that, but, but I am saying that uh, significantly underrated grapes, and we have several Redeemer members that are somewhere in that world of growing them, selling them, whatever, and um, you know, some wine, things like that that are out here that might surprise you. And uh, so um, he's laying out that analogy of somebody that would understand that saying, uh, initially, Jesus, he's the vine, all right? So he's gonna be the thing that all the nutrients are gonna go through to get to the fruit, to get to the grape that will grow. And then uh, that, that the Father, God the Father, is the vine dresser. And so I had to look this up, um, and um, I looked up on the internet, is where I'm, uh, the, the uh, expert I consulted here, the internet says that uh, the, a vine dresser prunes, trains, and cultivates vines, all right? So that's what the internet says. And so you've got the Jesus that's the vine, the Father that's the vine dresser. Now you're gonna see a little bit more on this in verse two. So I'll let verse two kind of explain how, how the analogy plays out. Uh, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, talking about the Father. 
And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. All right, so you've got two different kinds of people that need to hear different things from verse two, all right? One group of person that's here um, is the first part of this that says, hey, every branch that doesn't bear any fruit, the Father's gonna take away. And uh, you'll see this a little bit later. There's a bit of a warning here. And the warning is, especially in West Texas, um, in this part of the world, is to something you could describe as a cultural Christian. And this is where you're like, well, I'm not another religion. And I mean, you have some kind of vague sense of belief in God. And uh, you're like, well, I mean, I'm not, I'm not something else. And I mean, I want to be nice. And I believe in God and something about Jesus. I'm not real sure what all that is. But I mean, I believe in that stuff somewhat. And, um, and so you, you feel like you're fine. But uh, I love that Jesus's teachings are very provocative and push us a little bit because they're going to raise a question and say, well, hold on. If there's not fruit that's emerged in some way or another, like some kind of result of a faith that's alive, like, are you actually connected to the vine at all? And so this is saying one of the things that the Father will do is to say, hey, look, this vine right here is dead. It's not, it, it, may, be, it may be a different, uh, like a different uh, fruit that, and it may, be, it may be here and it may not actually be connected to this, this vine that brings all those nutrients in. And the way that we know it's not is that branch is dead and there's no, uh, there's no fruit coming off of it at all. This actually reminds me of my kind of gardening um, that uh, every year I start off with great intentions. I've got a little square in the back corner of my yard um, that's cleared. And every year I've got some time around, you know, around the new year and baseball season hadn't cranked up yet where I coach my guys and try to be as involved as I can and all that. And so I start off, all the weeds are out and I've actually got three uh, grapevines that an old grape farmer um, that didn't hear at Redeemer, he's moved since, but he gave me these grapevines. These are legit, all right? Like wine caliber grapes and all this stuff. And, and I um, mean, you know, every year, like I trim them back to start the year and they look, they look kind of nice. And I plant a few kind of a salsa garden, like some tomatoes and onions and peppers and stuff like that. And man, as soon as the spring comes around, um, it goes uh, in a not good way, all right? And I, I don't trim anything back. And like, if you drive through some of our vineyards out here in West Texas, I mean, like they're trimmed back and like they're nice, they look good. Mine, I mean, there are vines just shoot legitimately like over my fence, hanging out. I'm not even gonna talk about what my tomato plants look like with all the weeds in the middle of them. It's a disaster. And so the thing is, it ends up happening is you know how many grapes I got from those three like really good um, grape vines? You know how many I got? I got no grapes. And the reason is, is it needs sunlight, all right? Like somebody needed to uh, be trimming these things back so you didn't have all of these leaves that make it where zero sun can get in there, where the, the grapes could emerge. And so um, what this is saying right here, number one, is that there's not any fruit. Um, it's because you're not connected to the vine. So there's, that's the warning that's said in an aggressive way. But there's also something else here that's meant to encourage a totally different person that's here that you are connected to the vine. And it's saying, hey, look, the Father's doing careful pruning, that what he wants is health and he wants fruit to emerge. He wants joy, as we'll see, to emerge in your life. Like he wants these things there. Like he wants you making an impact. He wants you being alive and making a difference and uh, being very connected yourself. And so what he's gonna do is he's gonna like trim back some of these leaves and branches so that there's more health there. Like that's the whole point. So sun can get in and pests stay off and, and old blooms are cut off and everything like that. Like it's actually for your benefit. So if some of you feel like you've been going through a pruning season lately and you're like, ow, that, that one kind of hurt getting clipped off. Maybe the last year and a half has felt like a never ending pruning season possibly, or maybe not anything related to what we're experiencing culturally. Like you've just have gone through some pain 
And sometimes you even feel it. You're like, there's this thing that I love and it's a good thing, but I tend to put it way up here. And regularly the Lord is just trimming that thing back like all the time going, hey, life is not found here. I know you want joy. Like everybody in this room wants it. Like everybody wants a happy life. Everybody wants fulfillment. Like everybody's pursuing it. But then we pursue even good things out of the right proportion. Sometimes we pursue broken things and the Lord's like, yeah, that branch is just gonna have to go completely or we're gonna need to trim this back and it hurts. But this is just a reminder that if you're going through one of those seasons right now, a reminder from this passage of the Lord's good and kind care that he's the, uh, the master vine dresser that's working for your benefit, for your ultimate good. Let's keep moving. Next verse. Verse three. Already you're clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. I love this. Seem, almost seems like the metaphor is changing. Like, wait, I thought we we're talking about vineyards and all this. But here's the part that really fits within the, this overall passage that Jesus is saying is that, that uh, the ultimate call here is gonna be to stay and abide and remain in the vine. Like it's not actually anything you generate on your own. You know, he's not gonna say, hey, why don't you go over there and make some fruit? And then if you have some really great fruit, then we'll think about adopting you in. Like if you've got something to offer. Well, it's not that way at all. It's remain, abide in the vine as we're about to see. Uh, but even here, it's you're clean, not because you've done a bunch of penance and you've done some great things and you've, you've, done, you've hit the marks and now you've finally done enough good things, you've made up for those bad things you did. And like you were really dirty and unclean, but now you're clean because you did enough good. But it's not that way at all. It's you're, you're clean because of the word that Jesus spoke to you. And ultimately, we see when we broaden John's gospel all the way out through Jesus' death and resurrection, you're pronounced clean, that he's got the ability to do so if you believe in Jesus. He just says that you are. This is really good news. Like if something's happened to you that makes you feel dirty or you've made some really bad choices, I've got to think that one of those two categories um, will uh, probably both um, are going to fit every single person that's here right now or watching at home. Every single one of you can relate with that. And he says, oh, you don't need to do anything, man. I just, through what Jesus will do, I just call you clean. I mean, let that soak in uh, while we keep moving here. Verse four, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit from apart from me, you can do nothing. So here Jesus really takes the analogy further and he says, all right, so this is the thing. You're trying to figure out what to do as a Christian. You need to abide or another translation says to remain in me. That's it. Like that, that's what you do. You don't need to go generate things outside of that. Your principal duty as a Christian is to stay connected to the vine. Like that, that is the main thing uh, that you need to do. And um, we'll talk about this in a minute, uh, but I think abiding, abiding, what it really means is it does mean just being connected to God and uh, not just um, having some ideas about him, but actually facing him. And as you hear from him, as you consider him, you're actually drawing near to him. And uh, that's what it means to abide. And we'll hear more about this in a second because it'll make a connection to God's word in the next couple of verses. Uh, but the thing I wanted to talk about right now, just for a, real, a moment, is something I can relate a lot with that I think I'm not gonna be the only Christian in here that struggles with, is when he says, um, apart from me, you can do nothing. So here's the thing, I've been doing ministry like for Jesus for 27 plus years now, all right? And I do think it's a little bit of an occupational hazard when you're doing church work. And so like my job is to understand the Bible and then to communicate it, to lead, to meet with people, that kind of thing, right? Basically to do things on behalf of Jesus with people. 
And so what can end up happening, I don't think I'm the only one that struggles with this because you don't need to work for the church to feel like this. But what can end up happening is you've got all these responsibilities, things that you do. I mean, things that are laid out in the Bible to do, things like, it's almost like the rich young ruler where you've got this checklist of things. Read your Bible. Like I legitimately check that off a sheet of paper that stays in my journal. Like we've got our Bible reading plan. I legitimately check that off every day. Uh, prayer, check. Um, how about uh, being generous with your finances? All this I have done, you know. Um, uh, how about serve on Sundays? You'll even have an opportunity. Yeah, check that. Yeah, come there. I work in the kids area. Uh, you, how about um, have some Christian relationships that you encourage their faith? Yes, like I'm, I'm in Christian community. I'm, I'm in a gospel community. Check. Um, and you've got these different things. Even like I, I'm providing for my family. I'm, I'm trying to love those that you've entrusted to me. Check. Like I'm, I'm doing the stuff. Like I'm trying to, I'm trying to make Jesus known. I'm, I'm praying for our goers. I'm even funding some of them. I'm check, check, check. What, what else do I lack? And it's almost like in that conversation with the rich young ruler, Jesus says, hey, man, there's only one thing. Like you're doing all, all, all the output is on point. Like you're doing all of these things. Um, you've just forgotten one thing, and that's to abide in me, like to remain in me, to be with me. Like that, that's the thing you've lost. Now here's, I can tell you again from experience that I'd like to think that I've done things that have moved the ball for Jesus, um, even when I'm not abiding. But here's the deal. I can tell you that it is joyless, and what ends up happening in my soul when I get in that spot is I get really cynical. I feel used. I feel used by God like we're in a business relationship. I can feel used by some of you. I can feel just the whole thing goes in a really dark direction for me, like when I'm doing things apart from abiding in the vine. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know exactly what this is like, where you're hitting the marks and you're doing it, but the one thing you forgot is to abide in Jesus. And it's the one thing um, that if you don't do, all of the output begins to be joyless and dry and the cynicism emerges from there. So let's keep moving to verse six. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch uh, and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. There's another, that warning. That person needs to hear it. The cultural Christian that just thinks they're fine because they live in America and they, they grew up and they've got a, uh, you know, uh, an uncle that was a preacher and that, you know, that whole thing um, that he says, hey, look, be like if there's no fruit, it means you were never connected to me and like you didn't want Jesus. Like there's other things you wanted, but you, you chose a different route and the judgment's coming. It's not the best reason to believe in Jesus, but you need to have all the facts um, that justice and judgment are real alongside of grace. Uh, verse seven, if you abide in me, Listen to this, and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So I think that's a key part right there where it says that his, his words are the key thing. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, I think that gives us another clue of what it actually means to abide in Jesus. And I think his words are a big part of it, um, that that's what it means. So whenever you are considering, say something like the love of God, like we're gonna talk about in just a moment, um, that it could be in a sermon. I think a good sermon, I'm not saying this is one of them, uh, but a good sermon, what it should really be doing is taking a biblical text, and today's John 15, and we're looking at it from like a bunch of different angles. And you're like, oh man, that's a beautiful part about who Jesus is. And wow, that's another way I need him. And, and oh man, here's an implication of this. So a good sermon is looking at the grace of Jesus from a million different angles and who God is in his redemptive ways. Um, I think that's what we do when we read the Bible, even what we've hopefully have trained many of you 
you on doing is the here method where you're, you're um, looking and you're highlighting things that are there, you're examining it, you're applying it, you're act- actively responding. And that's what we're doing as we read the Bible individually is we're looking at this beautiful stone from a million different directions and we're considering, we're reflecting, we're gazing on it. And as we do, like we're abiding, like we're, his words are, are abiding in us and we are abiding in him and his words powerfully. Whenever we take communion, we are considering the redemptive work, the death and resurrection of Jesus, and we're, we're considering it, we're savoring it, we're tasting it, we can smell it, um, and then we, we consider it. And then when we sing, like we're, there's nothing else in the world, like we are considering some parts of who Jesus is and what it is that he's done, and we're, we're not thinking about anything else, and we're considering it, we're looking at it, and we're abiding. Like that's what we're doing, and it's together, it's alone, it's all of it, um, and that's what it means to abide, and his words play a really big part of it, and it's a call to say, hey, look, abide in me and be healthy. Like that's it. Stay connected and focus on the input of receiving and then the output flows. And you're even going to see that next in verse eight. Uh, By this, my father is glorified. So when you abide, when you abide in Jesus, um, the father's glorified. Listen to this. This is incredible stuff right here that you may bear uh, much fruit. And so prove to me, my disciples. Again, that's not the first time we've heard this, that when there's fruit, it just proves that you're connected to the vine. That's it. That's what, that's what healthy plants do. Um, healthy vines, they, they, um, they emerge into fruit. Verse nine, listen to this. As the father has loved me, all right, so this is Jesus talking, all right, can we agree that God the father loves God the son with a complete love? Can we agree on that? Like he's not like, well, you could have been clear back in John 11, you know, I, I don't know about you, Jesus. Like, no, I mean, he's like, he's very pleased. He's like, well, yeah, you died for me 2,000 years ago, but what else have you, you know? Like, no, like he loves, the father loves the son completely, forever, top to bottom. Right, can we agree on that? All right, so now listen to this. Uh, so as the father has loved me, verse nine, so I have loved you. Just let that sink in for a minute. And the way that the father, you're gonna hear a lot more on this next week in John 17. The way that the father loves the son is the way that the son loves you completely, fully. And that, that's what you're abiding in right there. Abide in my love. That's the call. So God is not screaming at you saying more output, step up higher. Like we're gonna talk about the obedience like in the next sentence. All right, that, that, that's coming. But really the call is abide in that. If you don't have that, you can have all the output and all the boxes checked in the world. You could do all of that, but then you miss it and you, you wither inside and you die um, whenever there's not an abiding love and even enjoying the love that this complete and perfect love. Um, instead, it just feels like all these demands and these religious duties, but you're not receiving from God in that way, receiving in Jesus's love. But look at this in verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. So here's what's crazy is you could hear some of these things from Jesus and think, oh, okay, so I don't need to work, worry about all the rules. I just really need to focus on my relationship with Jesus. And he's like, well, well, hang on. They're not actually, usually what Christians want to do right now is pick one of these teams they're on, like your real obedience and output oriented, like do the right thing and hit the marks. Or you're one of these Christians that says, no, we just need to believe the right things and we need to be connected to the Lord and uh, like really connected. Let's not focus on all, all the rules. It's relationship. It's not rules. And Jesus is saying, well, hold on. Uh, it's abide in me and then you, like a result of that is obeying my commandments. 
Like it's actually one and the same. Like you abide and you, as you focus on the input and you're connected, what do you think you're gonna wanna do when you've considered the never ending love the father has for the son, the perfect uh, in depth and purity. And then um, you consider that love that is now yours because of your faith in Jesus's death and resurrection. Do you think as you actually encounter God in that moment, as his words abide in you and you abide in him, do you think you're more or less likely to say, you know what? That area is so hard for me to trust you in, but I'm gonna obey you. The answer is you're gonna be far more likely to obey Jesus coming out of that moment and not in a cynical duty-oriented way either. Okay, well, here we go. Here's the last verse, and this is where all of this is built up to. It says, these things I've spoken to you. What things? Well, how about that Jesus is divine, the Father is the vine dresser, that you know, if you're not connected to the vine, you'll be thrown out. Um, there will be a judgment that the Father prunes those that he loves and he's even cutting away some things so there will be more health uh, flowing through to remain and abide in Jesus's love and let the, that nourishment come through and obedience flow out, that that's the nature and don't do anything apart from him, like stay connected to the vine. That's what we're taught. These things like that, I've spoken to you, here's the result, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. How about that? Like that's the whole point of all this abiding is not God screaming at you and saying, be at church more, read your Bible more. You ought to be better. Hold the door open for old ladies better and whatever it is, whatever that thing is, you know? And that instead it's, hey, you know what I want for you? I want there to be a joy that resonates so deeply in your soul that isn't up when you're at Six Flags and down when everybody else is doing something fun and you're left out that's steady and sure because as a different focal point, it's on Christ and who he is, that his joy, because he's perfectly and fully joyful, you may not have thought about God in that way, but that his joy would be full in you, that you would be experiencing that joy in the same way that you're experiencing that kind of love, that perfect love the Father has towards the Son, you would be receiving that kind of love from the Son towards you. Here's what I think. I think every person here Every person watching online, every one of you wants joy so badly. Like you want deep connection of soul. I know you do. Like the, the trick is, is some of us have some really broken methods of getting there that are like killing you. I mean, they're leaving you so empty and hollow. It's making the situation worse. And what Jesus is saying is, look, I know what you want. I even know what you need. Here's where it is. Come into me, remain in me, abide in me, my words in you. And this is how it is that joy is the result. Jesus's joy even. Um, there's a great chart uh, on our guide here on pages 38 and 39 about, hey, here's what happens when you do abide. Here's what happens when you don't abide that I think are really practical things. But I think you could say, as a friend of mine told me a while back, our joy um, is dependent on the depth and quality of our relationships. And that starts with our relationship with Jesus. It then fans out into other relationships. But that's where our joy is gonna be anchored is on the depth and the quality. And in a lot of ways, you could even think about your relationship with Jesus kind of like, a, like a, a good dating relationship or marriage is that it would be like how some of us are experiencing it right now that we're doing all these things. You're unloading the dishwasher, you're mowing the lawn, uh, you're picking up kids from school, you're doing all, the, you're, I mean, you're checking all the boxes. You're doing everything except stopping and looking at each other in the eyes and actually connecting for a minute and remembering why you married each other and that you like each other and that you have 
fun. Like that's how a lot of us are living out our Christian life where we're doing all the things and we're mowing the lawn and we're doing the dishwasher and we're doing these things, but we've actually missed the whole reason it exists of actually connecting with them and his joy um, becoming full in us. So I'm gonna guide us through a moment of prayer and I'd like for you just to bow your heads and just to reflect. I wanna do really what I think we've heard today from the passage. I'd like for you just to fix your mind for a second on the love of Jesus because that came out so clearly here. And I want you to consider the love that God has for you for a minute because of Christ. It's completeness. It's never-ending nature that'll never stop. It's depth that there's not any area of your life that he thinks is too gross for his love. Any mistake that's too deep, even that thing, yeah, that thing. Um, It's unchanging reality that doesn't go up and down based on your performance. It's really hard to believe. Fix that in your mind the way that Jesus loves you. Now, I want you to get in your mind your biggest insecurity, your biggest pain point, your biggest worry, whatever that is, you probably didn't take long. I want you to let that crash into the love of Jesus right now and just take that to him and just to acknowledge it. Maybe it's a struggle of sin, maybe something that really is overwhelming you right now. And why don't you just lift that to the Lord holding fixed the love of Jesus in your mind. Father, will you help us experience that kind of love right now that would even make the the strongest fears in this room melt, Um, the things, the biggest points of insecurity, the biggest points of shame, that they would all melt away inside of you that you would confront, you would help, you would encourage um, that, those areas that are just so vulnerable in people right now and that the love of Jesus would be experienced as we abide in you. So Lord, would you let that be true even as we respond right now? Um, and for those that have never turned their life to you, even right now that there'd be a transformation on the spot as they consider the love of Jesus, that that's what they've been looking for their whole life and all these other ways. Maybe they already came into this room knowing those other things didn't work, but right now that there would be a hope in you uh, for the first time. And I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.